All right, well, we're going to get started. We're going to have a little fun today. Is that okay? Cool. Just the beginning. Then I'll get really serious and make you feel terrible. It's the way we do things. But I was uh, thinking this week about things that exist and labels that exist and warnings that exist. And I thought it would be fun to look at some products that have warning labels on them that are there for some reason or another. And so we're going to throw a few of those up there today. Uh, here is a hair dryer. It says, instructions for use. Do not use while sleeping. Just so you're all aware, using your hair dryer while you're asleep is a bad idea in case you were wondering. Um, <laughs> just lay it in the bed next to you, go to sleep, and this, it'll all be good, right? Uh, you know, I don't... Whew, let's just pay attention is all I'm going to say. Just pay close attention. For example, did you know that the back part with the plastic and the handle is where you're supposed to hold a chainsaw, not the front? Anybody who didn't know that should have never been using a chainsaw to begin with because they had no idea what its purpose was, I think. Um... They thought it was a cheese cutter or something, I guess, probably. I, I like this one a lot, especially in light of Halloween season uh, and trick-or-treating. Label on the website, warning, this costume does not enable flight or super strength. Just so you know, putting on the suit does not make you Superman. Um, that you know might be interesting, but not the case. Or maybe this one, that if you can't see, this is like a little cocktail napkin uh, spread out. It's got a map on it. And in the corner, it says, caution not to be used for navigation. This is only meant to clean up your drink spill, all right? Don't try to get home using this map tonight after you've had too many to drink. That would be a bad choice. Uh, that made me laugh. This one scares me just a little bit. Um, it is a letter opener. It says, safety goggles recommended. <laughs> Once again, I... <sighs> or maybe if... Yeah, just maybe just don't use the tool. Just... Uh, yeah, anyway... Uh, and I will say, I have one of these, and I do use it for things it was not intended for, but not this. Uh, this is a Dremel. This product is not intended for use as a dental drill. I don't want to know that story. I don't want to know that story. The images in my head are bad enough. I just like the way this looks. It makes me feel like I'm watching cars, but uh, do not drive with sunshield in place. And then, of course, do not iron clothes on body. I'm not sure that's a great method either, but, uh, but definitely not while you're wearing the shirt. Oh, my goodness. I hate to say it, but we all know that these things exist for a reason, right? There are these warnings that are there because someone didn't have the common sense to put this wisdom into practice and say it's a bad idea to iron my clothes while I wear them. You know what? I got a Dremel. Maybe I could operate on my own tooth that, or my kid's tooth. I don't want to know the story. Anyway, all that being said, warning labels are there for a reason. Somebody probably did something they shouldn't have, tried to sue somebody, and then they went, oh, I hate that we have to put this on the package, but we have to put this on the package. You should probably wear safety goggles while using this letter opener because there was that one guy who didn't, and it didn't turn out well for him or us, right? It's kind of funny. Whether it's guidelines or warnings or just cautionary tales, things are there for a reason because there's a purpose 
or a story or something that led us to see that. I used to start off youth events with kind of a time where we would sit down and discuss the rules. It was a little different than that. I didn't quite... There were probably times I should have said, hey, when we were playing sardines, which is kind of like hide-and-seek where you all try to hide in the same spot, um, don't crawl up into the ceiling tiles, the suspended ceiling tiles. That's a bad choice. Don't hide there. I didn't think to say that, and I probably should have, but I didn't. But I had some pretty basic rules that I tried to make as simple as possible because if you start trying to explain a bunch of rules to a bunch of teenagers, their eye, or anybody for that matter, to be honest, if I started telling you all a bunch of rules, it's going to take like 30 seconds in, everybody's eyes glaze over, and no one really wants to listen, because who wants a bunch of rules? They're just not fun, right? The word rule just doesn't sound fun, but I would get there, and I would say, hey, listen, here's a couple things. You can't go on the stage in the sanctuary. There's expensive stuff you can break. Don't go in the booth. If there's a bathroom and it doesn't have your gender's picture on the outside, don't go in there during the night, please. It's not, you know, a good thing. Lock-ins were specifically a time where you're trying to, like, set the boundaries on where people can and can't go. But my general rule that was kind of like the rule to end all rules was if it ain't yours, don't touch it. That is the rule that covers a multitude of rules. Um, and so we kind of laid out these guidelines. But I always said this at the end of all of these rules. Listen. The reason I have these rules in place and the reason I'm asking you to use common sense is not because I like to be the big bully who has a list of rules who is looking forward to stomping on you if you break one, okay? I've met people like that. They exist. I get it. They like to be in charge. I don't like that we have to have all these rules. I wish we could all just, you know, say, oh, that makes sense. I shouldn't do that. But we got to spell out some stuff. I get that. But the main reason is... As long as we follow these rules, we get to have fun all night and no one's stressed out and cranky, right? It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Our goal is we want to have fun, so we're going to put these guidelines in place so we can keep having fun and not have to stop because you broke the very expensive soundboard or whatever, right? All of these laws, whether they're to keep someone safe, they're to keep someone from being sued, they're to keep it in a way that's a place where we can have fun, rules, guidelines, things are there for a reason. When we start talking about our faith, we start looking at Scripture, a lot of times people see the Bible as this rule book. Here are all the things that God told me not to do. If you were with us last week, we were talking about this idea of we want, we've been talking about these three kind of main goals for our life and our time of walking as apprentices of Jesus to be with Jesus to become like Jesus, and to do the things he did. And we were kind of talking about this idea that sometimes the world knows more about what Christians are against because we all think the rule book says, here are the things you are not supposed to do or not allowed to do. And rather than knowing what Christians are for, what we care about, what we value, what things we are doing that are in line in accordance with the kingdom and the kingdom Jesus is trying to establish, and so as we have that conversation, we're talking about this book, sometimes as a rule book, people start to say, hey, these guidelines, these rules, these things that we're supposed to do, they kind of take the fun out of it. I said we're going to have a little fun at the beginning because that sounds great. And then I jokingly said, but then I'm going to get all serious and then it's not going to be fun, you're going to feel bad and we'll move on with life, right? That's what it kind of feels like sometimes. We have to get serious about our faith now. So that means no more fun. Let's get serious, right? 
Now, we all know, hopefully, hopefully I'm going to tell you this. If you don't know this, here's the news. There's a lot of things Jesus said in the New Testament that are not nearly as funny for us because we are not first century Jewish people, right? That were really funny to first century Jewish people. Jesus had a pretty good sense of humor. Like, he was a fun guy. He wasn't just the serious teacher who was always very solemn and very sweet and kept things super serious. And he did get on some people. And he did throw over some tables, usually when people took things way too seriously and made a bunch of rules that no one could live up to. Did you know the people he was usually the most mad at were people who were abusing the religious system, creating layers and layers of rules, or creating an economic system that benefited off of how people were supposed to be worshiping, taking something that was intended for one thing and making it about something else taking something that he was trying to give us as a gift and turning it into something that just made people feel like they could never succeed or do right or be in relationship with God. He, he kind of said this, this verse, when he's, or he said this quote when he's talking in some of the verses. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says that in the context of my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What that means is my yoke, my teaching, my system, or not system, but my interpretation of God's word and what it means for your life is easy and it is light. There are many Pharisees and scribes and teachers who would tell you, you have to follow all of these rules and do all of these things to be accepted, to be received, to be good enough. And I know you're tired, and I know you feel like you can't succeed, and I know you all feel like a train wreck and a failure, but come to me, and I will give you rest. And I will give you rest in my teaching and understanding. And so then the question becomes, well, what are the rules? What's the commandments? What are the greatest things? We know the story, hopefully, of the man who comes to Jesus and says, hey, what is the greatest commandment? They're kind of trying to trick him. They're trying to get him to say some stuff that'll get him in trouble at some point, but someone just genuinely asks, I'm curious, what's your take on what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the other is much the same. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the man agrees and says, you're right. Scripture does tell us that we're supposed to love the Lord our God and that we're supposed to love our neighbor much like ourselves. And there's two Old Testament passages that reference that in different places, in Leviticus and Exodus, and we kind of see the Shema and this other reference to loving our neighbor, and the man's like, that makes sense. I agree with that. that. That seems like the most important things, and Jesus tells him, you're really close to the kingdom. If you can understand and grasp and agree with those two statements, elsewhere Jesus said, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, all the rest of the law hangs on these two things. It's the commandment that covers a multitude of commandments, right? If it ain't yours, don't touch it. Think about it. You start thinking about it, that covers a lot of rules at a youth group lock-in. Just saying. Covers a lot of rules. Just got to keep thinking about it, and you'll go, oh, yeah, that would cover that too. Oh, yeah, and that too. Yeah, it does. It, it works. And then you just say, if it ain't yours, don't touch it. And then they stop and think, okay, got it. But Jesus is saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the rest of the law 
hangs on these two things. We've been talking about this idea of being with Jesus so that we can become like Jesus and we can begin doing the things that he did. And we go, what kind of things do I need to do to be with Jesus so that I can become like Jesus so that I can do the things he did? It becomes really easy, very quickly, to start saying, well, of course I need to read my Bible. Well, of course I need to pray. Of course I need to do, uh, I need to go to church probably and spend time with Christians. That's a good thing, right? And we start trying to figure out the list because we are people who like to have it spelled out for us. We like the rules. We like the guidelines. We like the expectations. Have you ever noticed, I may have talked about this in here before, I don't remember. I've talked about this several times in the past and I honestly can't remember where I run my mouth about what, when. So, I may have said this before, if cool, just not along. But I've been thinking about this idea, this imagery in my head for a long time. When a baby is born, right? A baby is born, it's been in the mother's womb for nine months, ten months, long time, right? Warm, cozy, confined space. Not a lot of room to spread out, right? All balled up and bundled up. And you've noticed that when a baby's born, we keep them wrapped up real tight, swaddled real close, right? Held real close. Some of that warmth and comfort and security from those confined spaces feels good. And you lay the baby out to change their diaper, and all of a sudden their arms and legs flail out because they're trying to find their boundaries, they're trying to find their space, and they get real nervous because where did all the stuff go, right? Early on, we really like to have guidelines and boundaries and rules and expectations. We want to know where our boundaries are, we get nervous when we try to reach out. And so we keep that baby swaddled up nice and tight. And some people joke around and say it's like a little baby straitjacket, right? Keep them all snug down real tight so they can't roll around and do all this stuff. The baby's not rolling around anyway. It's more of a security thing. It makes them feel good to know they have some guardrails in their life. But have you ever tried to swaddle a teenager? No. Good? No one's tried that? Good, good. Because it no longer becomes a baby straitjacket. It becomes an actual straitjacket, right? We put people in straitjackets, and I'm using this terminology now very literally, when we're trying to keep them from hurting themselves. We'll cinch them down because we don't think that they are healthy enough, whether that be mentally or whatever else, to be safe. And sometimes we try to do the same thing with our faith, it is good to give guardrails and boundaries and some general expectations of, yes, you should start to pray. Yes, you should start to read scripture. Yes, you should start to come to church. You should do all these things. Yes, you should probably try to avoid a few of these things that indulge in the flesh, if possible, right? Jesus is going to work through some of the stuff in your life, but you should probably try to avoid sin and temptation that Jesus spells out in scripture Here's some guardrails. Because early on, especially for each of us, it's beneficial to kind of learn where the edges are. But eventually what ends up happening is we keep operating out of that same system of saying, here are the rules that Christians live by. We don't do this, we don't do this, we don't do this, we don't do this, and that list is really, really long. And then if I say, what are Christians supposed to do? Well, I'm pretty sure we're supposed to pray, read the Bible, go to church. I think we probably should try to love people, but most of us struggle with that one. 
so do your best. Um, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not trying to make us feel bad. I'm trying to help us realize the reality of how we handle this. And ultimately, our main goal becomes about still creating all of these boundaries. Good Christians don't do all of these things. Here are all the rules of what we avoid and don't do to keep you safe, to keep you from hurting yourself. But have you ever tried to keep someone restrained when they don't want to be restrained? You ever tried to keep swallowing? You know when it's time to stop swallowing that baby, right? Like the, when they escape every 10 seconds. They're like, I'm done with this. I'm a crawler. I need to explore. Jesus, God did the same thing with us as he's raising us in humanity. There are strict rules and guidelines early on in our history as humanity. He wants us to understand the law was put there, Paul said, so that we could see our sin and our brokenness and see how we fall short and fail. But Jesus comes and offers grace, and we no longer live under, the, under slavery to the law. We are now free in Christ. We are kind of learning to crawl, learning to take those steps, learning to follow in the steps of our Savior and where He's guiding us, where He's leading us, understanding His truth. And it may not always be as cut and dry and clear as we like to make it. There are still things we absolutely should probably be avoiding. But the more we get into God's Word and the more we spend time with Him, the less and less we're going to want to do those things because they're not in line with His heart. But it's not about saying, hey, don't cross that line or you're going to be in big trouble because what do I want to do if you tell me not to cross the line or I'm going to be in big trouble? Why shouldn't I cross that line? I want to see what's over there. I want to get closer. That line is way more enticing now. I'll tell you what. We, you know, it's kind of a, a cool thing these days to talk about banning books and kicking books out of libraries. You know a surefire way to get somebody to read a book? Tell them they shouldn't read a book. Because like the moment people, the, this is Nick's rebellious spirit. I'm just going to be honest about it, okay? The moment the church leaders of certain groups told me I wasn't supposed to read the Da Vinci Code, I immediately went and read the Da Vinci Code and went, that was a lot of fun. I'm going to read more of his books. It was just a silly fiction story. Did it have some premise to it that we would probably go, ugh, that makes me uncomfortable? Yeah, but it was a fiction book. It was a story. It was made up. But we guaranteed that a bunch of people would read it by creating controversy about it. And we do the same thing when we tell everybody, you shouldn't do all of these things. All these things are horrible. This is the end of the world. And I watched so many of my friends who grew up in that kind of environment where this is all no-nos, don't touch this, don't touch this, don't touch this, don't touch this. And the moment they were out of their house, they went and touched all of it, whether it was theirs or not. You follow what I'm saying? Because I need to explore, I need to figure that out. And we've come at the rules from the wrong direction. We've lost sight of what the rules are there for. God is offering us direction in the early commandments to protect his people, to make them set apart. 
God is protecting his people now to help make us set apart. Do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be different than the rest of the world. Don't get caught up in all the same nonsense that everybody else is in the same way everybody else is. There's a way I have called you to be set apart. Even in the ways you are trying to approach me, I have set an example for you that prayer is important. In Matthew chapter 6, which you see up there is one of the verses we're going to look at this week. I want to read through this passage. There's a lot of this in Matthew chapter 6. We're not going to read all of it, but I want to read a few chunks of it. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your hand know what left, your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So we sometimes read this passage and we say, there's one of the rules. Jesus said, don't let anybody know what you're giving to anything. So let's keep it all a big secret. Right? Was that the rule? No. The rule is there to guard your heart. If somebody knows what you gave, it's going to be okay. All right? It's going to be okay. Do I think we need to broadcast everywhere what we're giving? No. Because that's what Jesus is getting at. If you are just giving very publicly, look at what I got. I'm putting in a real big check this week, y'all. See what I put in the box? Here it is. Everybody look. Everybody pay attention. Everybody seeing. Everybody watching. Cool. If I'm doing it so that I receive praise, that is broken. In the book of Acts, we see this thing kind of lived out and played out. There was a couple who had a field. It was their field. They had every right to sell it and give whatever they thought was right. They sold it, kept back a portion for themselves, gave what was left, and said, that's what we got for the field. We gave everything. It was a heart issue. Not that they broke a rule. In fact, the disciples said, it, or the apostles said, it, what, it was your field. You could have done whatever you wanted, but because of your heart to be seen and to be known for what you're doing, that's where you failed. That's where you fell short. Now, in that particular story, they dropped dead. That's another topic for another day, okay? But you understand what I'm saying. We get caught up in making rules out of passages, and we miss the heart and intent. Jesus is trying to protect our heart as we learn how to follow him, to say, you are going to do many good things for my name. My kingdom is one of generosity. My kingdom is one where you give of yourself. But if you are giving of yourself to gain for yourself, you haven't caught on. You are still missing the point of my kingdom. Don't even let it take root in your own heart as to how much you're giving or how good you feel about what you're doing. Just live with an open hand of generosity and give freely without concern about what you or anyone else thinks. Live with that open hand of saying, it's not mine, it is the Father's to begin with, and I give out of the abundance he has given to me. It's there to protect our hearts. If we keep reading, he's getting into this spot where he starts teaching on how we should pray and we get the Lord's Prayer. But before he shares the Lord's Prayer, this is what he says. And when you pray, 
Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then he goes on to share, here's how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, right? And gives us this prayer that really represents the heart of how He wants us to pray. And if you really read the Lord's Prayer, it focuses on this idea of seeking first His kingdom, interacting with people in a way that's pleasing to Him. Prayer that is meant to be transformative of my heart leaning into seeing and doing things the way he would. In fact, he even tags on at the end of the prayer more about forgiving others and us being forgiven the same way we forgive other people. It's a heart issue. You're not here to make everybody go, wow, he is so holy. You're not here to say all the words to make God happy so that he'll bless you. You are praying out of a position of surrendering yourself to him and to his will and to his way so that you can be transformed from the inside out to follow in his ways. That same passage he talks about fasting. Don't make a big deal out of your fasting. Sometimes we take these rules and we imply things on them that wasn't meant to be there. And if we really pay attention, we'll notice that the stuff Jesus taught about was oftentimes heart issues about letting anger take hold. If we go back to chapter 5, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I'm going to tell you that stuff starts in your heart way before you ever pick up a knife or a sword. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I'm telling you that that stuff takes root in your heart long before you ever actually take part in any physical act. Jesus is teaching about how we guard our hearts and our lives so that our mind and our attention can be focused on Him, His kingdom, His ways, not just avoid this because you'll go to hell if you do it. And if we continue to live out of a position of saying the gospel is about accepting Jesus' forgiveness and then working really hard to not break any of those rules so that we can eventually go to heaven we are missing out on the gift and joy and beauty of the kingdom. We are missing the point of the rules. The rules, the guidelines, the instruction, the teaching, the commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the rest of the law hangs on these two things. If you can accomplish those things, loving me and living like me, and letting that love pour back out to those around you, and living the way I lived amongst them, if you can do those things, all the rest of the stuff will sort itself out. You'll be living within the path that I've set before you. It is hard because we oftentimes want to take shortcuts. We oftentimes want to say, hey, just follow these rules and that'll be enough. And when Jesus is saying the path to destruction is very wide, there's a lot of ways we can go wrong when we just start trying to follow rules that we think are right. When we just start trying to avoid sins we think will hurt us. And sometimes we just say, yeah, there's lots of sin out there, and if you aren't careful, you'll step off that tiny little narrow road because Jesus said it's really hard to follow me. No, he didn't, remember? 
he actually said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Follow me. Well, Jesus is only walking one path. You ever played follow the leader? The kids are winding around. There's only one path that the leader took. That doesn't mean it's hard. As long as I watch, as long as I pay attention, as long as I care about keeping my eyes fixed on the leader, I can follow that path. And there's a lot less stress and burden of worrying. Am I doing enough? Am I, am I, am I full of anxiety and fear that I'm not doing enough, that I'm not keeping up, that I'm not doing what he told me to? Or am I resting in the assurance of him saying, I have given you grace. I have given you myself. You no longer have to fear sin and death and hell and shame and punishment. Perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. Trust in my love and love me and follow me. And if you're following me, I will lead you on a way peace, of joy, of all of these wonderful things I've offered to you. You won't be living in stress, but I warn you, if you start chasing after something that's more interesting than me, (laughs) you might step off the path. Does that mean you're immediately doomed to hell? No, because I recognize how many times do you forgive? 70 times 7, or in other words, a whole lot. There's only one time Jesus ever makes reference to some sin that's unforgivable, He, in fact, says it's the only unforgivable sin. And the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not a thing we're going to get into today, but I can be pretty sure that most of us aren't regularly committing it. Okay? And so there's grace and opportunity for us to come back to him. Listen to this passage in John chapter 15. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. A couple quick things there as I wrap this up. You'll notice that this idea of commandments and love walk hand in hand together. We don't just follow the commandment to avoid punishment because we're afraid of what might happen if we fail. We obey out of a sense of love. When you have respect for someone and they say, please don't mess with that. If it ain't yours, don't touch it. Generally, we don't have problems. If they know your heart for them is, I want to enjoy every moment I came with you today. And by avoiding these things, we can live life to the full and enjoy ourselves completely, which is what God is calling us to, if we trust him and believe in him and have that relationship in him, it becomes that much easier to avoid that which will just mess things up, right? But it has to start with that relationship, that trust, that connection, that love. 
that back and forth. And he says, apart from me, you're not going to be able to accomplish much. The goal here is to bear fruit, to do the things I have done. But in order to do that, he uses this imagery of the branch and the vines. This idea of growing up as vines. It's interesting. If you look back into the Greek terminology that gives us this word regulation or rules, rules and regulations, right? It comes from this Greek term that means straight stick or even better yet, a trellis. Y'all know what a trellis is? So did they, because there was a lot of vines and vineyards around there. They were very familiar with this idea and this custom of what it means to be a branch connected to this vine. If you don't have a trellis or support for those vines to grow on, they're not going to produce the good fruit. The regulations and the rules are there as a support system. The further we go down this road of talking about what it means to set our eyes on these goals of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what he did, we're going to be encouraging everyone to talk through and think through these ideas of building up in your life rules of life. These are not rules that are based on like, all right, Jesus said every day, when you get up, you should ignore your phone for the first hour of the day. That's not a rule that's in Scripture. There were no cell phones, right? But that's one of my rules of life that I have created for myself because I don't want noise to be the first thing I start my day with. There are days I follow that rule better than others, right? It's practicing. (laughs) But we're going to talk about what it means to start building up rules for ourselves and guidelines for ourselves and how do we structure prayer in our life in a way that builds a trellis that we can move and grow. Regulation, rules, and support Not to say, here are rules we're building in our life that will keep you from failing. Here are rules that you can start building into your life that will help you thrive and grow. And so I want us to understand that there are many things we can fix our eyes on, that we put a lot of pressure and stress on ourselves to follow. And if that's all we're doing, we're just tightening ourselves up in a straitjacket, hoping to protect ourselves from ourselves. But Jesus has called us into life to the full, a life of following and walking and taking great strides. And he even says, with the Spirit at work in your life, you can accomplish even more than I have. What could you do if you learned the heart of my teaching, created structure in your own life to make me a priority instead of all the other noises and all the other things And actually let yourself fix your eyes on me in relationship so that my commandments mean something to you deep down in your heart, not just in your mind where you freak out about, am I doing this good enough or not? God is calling us into relationship. And yes, there's going to be structure. But at the end of the day, some of that structure we get to kind of build for ourselves to fit what we need. But the main thing is, am I setting my eyes on loving him with all my heart, soul, mind, strength, and my loving my neighbor as myself, and my putting my concern and focus every day into being with him, to becoming like him. Whenever I sit down to pray, am I just trying to make myself feel good that I accomplished my task? Or am I remembering the heart of what Jesus tried to teach me? 
I am trying to step into a time and a space of prayer that allows me to connect with the Father. I'm not fasting so other people can see I'm fasting so that I can search after the heart of the Father. I'm not taking a Sabbath because it's my religious duty and no one should work on Sunday and everything should be closed and we need to create this strict legal system around it. No. I'm practicing Sabbath because my God desires that I rest and become the best version of myself through rhythms that he put into place for me. And when I understand the heart, I can seek his face with all of my heart. And through that, I will get better and better and better at loving my neighbor as myself. Let's bow our heads. I just encourage you to pray for a moment. And I just want you to think about all the pressure you put on yourself to follow well. What stresses and added anxieties do you put into your own life by pouring more and more rules onto yourself about what you need to be or how you need to behave or what you need to say and do to be a good follower of Jesus? In this moment, I just encourage you to quietly look to Jesus. Mentally, allow yourself to look into his face and just say, I want to be surrendered to you and to your way. And I want to trust you when you say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. And just fall into his loving arms. Allow yourself to just be surrendered into his loving arms so that he can offer you rest. Father, I pray that over the moments that are to come through song, through communion, that there would be time for us to respond, that we wouldn't let our minds drift off to other things, but we would firmly fix the eyes of our heart onto your face, onto your love, onto your goodness that has offered us a way forward. I pray, Father, that you would help us to seek you with all of our heart and that we would be overjoyed with the desire to follow you. It's in the precious name of Jesus I pray.